Podchamp Pod. Welcome back to the Podchamp Pod. We've got innovation for you today. Segment you probably never encountered. Top 50 players in the NBA. For Max, it's 54. He felt like there was a drop-off after that. Uh, this isn't one-on-one. This isn't best scorer, best defender. This is like guys you want for a full regular season in playoffs. Kind of a prediction of the top 50 at the end of 2023. Who will be your top 50 guys? Um, Max has been grinding on this one for a while. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm ready to unveil this list to the world. I've been working on it for a little over a month now, I think. So put a lot of time and thought into this and uh, ready to rip it to shreds. Yeah. And today we showed each other our lists that we had separately created and saw that it turns out we think very differently about some very talented basketball players. All right. So start, start with your 54. I went up to 50 and then I had like I called them the first seven out that I had in no particular order. Um, but you yeah. just start rattling off names and we'll get going. Yeah. So first, just to rattle off some honorable mentions, uh, the guys that I call injury replacement replacements. Um, we have uh, Jared Allen, DeMontis Sabonis, Nikola Vucevic, De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, John Collins, all good players. Um, I don't think any of them appear on your top 50. So I don't know if we need to dwell too much on them. Jared Allen did make an all-star team, so maybe he'll move his way up, but none of those guys I thought quite met the criteria. Uh, So I had one guy in that group that made my top 50 and I actually had him at 44 and that's Tyrese Halliburton. I don't think he's been a top 50 player to this point in his career, but I think he's going to be one of the best 50 guys in the league this upcoming season. Um, I can't imagine a better guy to build a young team around in terms of he's just going to make guys better. Um, like I would love to have like a, a, a core of young scores that are feeding off of Tyrese Halliburton because he's going to average double digit assists, um, get everyone involved, make everyone better at processing the game. He's just like a really, really intelligent chess player on offense. And I don't think he's going to be ever like a disaster on defense. He could be a little bit, he could get a little bit stronger. Um, but and I don't think he's going to be an elite point guard, but I think he's going to be like a really good point guard and a really good shooting guard. Whatever your team needs, he can fit into almost any roster. Um, so I love Hal Burton and I he got into my 50. OK, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a I love Hal Burton's game as well. Uh, I just he didn't quite pass the, the mustard for me as far as scoring ability, playmaking, being an offensive engine, all those things. But. Let's get into the players who actually did at least sniff the list. So this next group uh, is going to cause some commotion. These are the sophomore studs. And I didn't think you could really put them in the top 50 without doing a great deal of projection. Although I wouldn't be surprised if any of them were in the top 35 when we do this list next year. Uh, But the three guys from the stacked rookie class last year, Evan Mobley, Cade Cunningham, and Scotty Barnes, are the ones who just missed the list because while their rookie campaigns were promising, it's not like any of them were all-stars their rookie year. And I think it takes a great deal of projection to see them jumping into that next pack. Yeah. So I was picking for upside here. I'm thinking, how can we look back in a year and say, Drew really dug that one up. So I have Kate at 25 because I think that he's going to (laughs) be one of the best players in the league. I think he's going to be one of the best players in the NBA within the next couple of years. And I think he's genuinely going to be a top 25 guy this year. Um, top 30 at the least. It's not going to translate to a lot of wins because that team is so young and inexperienced and they, and they lost their like one productive veteran, Jeremy Grant's a blazer now. Um, so 
it won't it won't reflect in the win column. But I think Cade Cunningham is so good. And like if you and and the guys that I have in that top 25, top 30 range that he's surrounded by, I really feel if you inserted Cade into those roles that he could be just as productive. Now you could argue like he hasn't been in a playoff game and that matters. Um, and I, I agree with you, but I think he's so good. And I, he, you know, he's not Luke on offense, um, but he's one of the best like big wing processors we've had since Luca. Um, and he's going to be a way better defender than Luca. I think that he is actually going to be in like an above average defender. He's already pretty passable and just like, is one of these guys who, um, you know, like you're a good pitcher. You, if you're a good catcher, you know how to pitch. Like he's so smart on offense. He processes the game at such a high level that he knows where to be on defense. He's in the right spots. He's pretty long. He's, he's big. So he can guard multiple positions. It's just really rare that guys that that have like offensive engine potential um, are that competent on defense already. And he's what, like 20, 21. Um, so yeah, I think, I think Kate is going to be that good. I think he's going to be an all-star this year. And I think we'll go into year three of Kate Cunningham saying like, maybe this is the year, like the Pistons become a really feisty playoff team. So that's how, that's how much Cade real estate I want. I respect it. Um, or I respect the bravery of it, I guess. I love Cade. I think he has a lot of maturity to his game where even though he's someone who could be a primary option, he's very content to move the ball and, and get other people involved as well. Yeah. But when you look at it, he was extremely inefficient last year. And even if he sees like, you know, meaningful jumps in efficiency, he still wouldn't be a very efficient player. He shot 40%, 42% from the field, 31% from three. And I think he's going to be a good shooter. And he did struggle with an ankle injury earlier in, in the year, which hampered his, his adjustment to the NBA early on. But I think, I mean, to put him at 25 requires so much projection that you're putting him in the class of guys like, I don't know, like Zach Levine and Chris Middleton and Brandon Ingram, like to think yes, that sir. he will be that already in year two to me is, is just wild. <laughs> listen, listen, listeners. Max is really, really good at telling you what you're watching. I'm, I'm good at telling you what you're going to watch. <laughs> and yeah, 25 is wild. Um, if he ends up like at 34, I'll still feel really good about it. At least I took the swing. Um, but I think that he is just like such a rare two-way talent and like he has the it factor like I watched him a lot at Oklahoma State I I think like forget the last 15 games if you kind of want to write those off when he was going off his his rookie year uh the last 15 games of the year can be deceiving but like games like 45 to 65 were so impressive and he didn't he did shoot really cold at the start of his of his rookie year um and as soon as he hit his stride it was just like oh my god like no like yes scotty barnes and evan mobley are incredible but like this guy was the first pick for a reason um i think he's gonna be an mvp candidate like soon and so that's why i you know i picked the pistons first when we did our young cores draft i'm just i'm just all in on this guy like i think he's gonna be better than jaw and we both had jaw at 11 i know that but that's coming later um so yeah and then in terms of um, in terms of the other one of the other sophomore studs, the only I I, I had Scotty in my like first seven out, but I did have Evan Mobley um, in my fifty, and he came in at number forty one for me because I just think he's he's going to be like he's already an, a really good defender. 
and his offense was really solid in year one and shows a lot of growth potential. There just aren't a lot of big men that uh, can slide on the perimeter like he can. And so um, I don't think I'm going to regret having him in the top 50 and he might make like a second team all defense in year two. Yeah. Mobley is the one who was the toughest omission for me. And I think has the most potential to make me look stupid for not having included him. Like I could, I could very easily see him. I could very easily see doing this exercise in December and he's in the late thirties already. So just with his ability already to take over a game on defense, it's, yeah, pretty unbelievable for someone his age. Like Jared Allen, we both had him in our honorable mentions. Was so great on defense last year, and still, like everyone who knows more about defense and studies the game at a really high level, I, that I read or listen to, is like blown away by Evan Mobley's rookie defense, and like he sees him as like a a, a tier above Jared Allen, who was like the one of the best rim protectors in the league, just because of Mobley's versatility on that end. And, yeah. you know, he shows playmaking potential. He averaged like 15 a game. Like he's going to be able to score. He's only going to get better on offense, but like rookies don't look like Evan Mobley did on defense. And when they do, they're usually really special, like all time great defenders. So yeah. Um, yeah. All right. All right. Keep going. Sorry. Enough throat clearing. Let's get into the actual list. So this list is split into five big tiers with uh, some sub tiers in them. So I'm just going to read through a sub tier. Drew's going to tell me what he thinks. So starting with tier five, which is players 44 to 54. Title of this tier is elite role players. And tier five B, which has a title young role players with (laughs) all-star potential. uh, Really got creative here with these titles. Has a total of six players in it at number 54. Reigning sixth man of the year, Tyler Hero. Number 53, OG Ananobi. 52, Jaron Jackson Jr. 51, Tyrese Maxey. 50, Jordan Poole. And 49, Desmond Bain. Your thoughts? Um, yeah. Okay, so taking a second look. I had I had Ananobi in my honorable mentions. That was really hard. For, Ananobi was a hard one for me um, just because, like, it's easier to compare like a, a, a three and D a really good three and D player to the other guys in that archetype. And like my McCall Bridges had a really rough Luca series. Everyone did this year. Um, but I still think you have to have him above Ananobi just for like the defensive year he had and the way he guards guards and even guys who are, who weigh more than he does. Um, so I, so I, I figured if I'm going to have bridges in like that same tier, that you do, um, that I shouldn't have Ananobi there as well. Um, in terms of places, I'm really mad at you in this, in this part of your rankings, Tyler Harrow, what the fuck is Tyler Harrow doing at 54? Like I, Tyler Harrow wasn't even an honorable mention for me. That's how, that's how low I am on him because I feel like come playoffs, his defense is mediocre. He's, he's can't really get to the rim at a high level he's he's not a great finisher average athlete and it just feels like when he's not hitting jump shots in the playoffs he is you know hard to find and i was like you know like the i feel like i I remember him having like a 10 rebound game against the celtics last year maybe it was the, the sixers and thinking like that was like his main contribution when really they needed some scoring firepower and he couldn't provide it um so I, I don't know how you got Harrow there, but I know he did have a really good regular season. Yeah. 
and I'm not the biggest fan of Tyler Hero's game in general. I don't love just kind of the score first and, and score only type of guards, but I mean, he did score 21 points a game, five rebounds, four assists. Like those are pretty good counting numbers, particularly off the bench on a winning team and 40% from three is a good shooter, good free throw shooter has one of the better looking jump shots in the NBA. And I just kind of had him in the group of young guards with kind of all-star upside along with Tyrese Maxey, Desmond Bain, Jordan Poole, and Hero, I think is sort of the, the foursome that makes that up. And I found it very hard to differentiate between those four because they have very similar stats and yeah. uh, we're all on, on very good teams. So I just think someone he's young uh, putting up those scoring numbers on a, on a decent level of efficiency on a good team. And he's now been on two, two deep playoff runs, although he's been sort of inconsistent in the playoffs. I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan of his game. He is number 54 on my list. It's not like yeah. I have him super high, but I just felt like out of respect to, to what he's done in the regular season and some of the playoff performances he's had in the past, particularly in the bubble, he at least deserved to mention. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, he, like in that tier, you have to kind of put him up against Maxi, Bain, and uh, Poole. Like those were the guys that I was, you know, you're comparing him to like off guards who can score and hopefully do some other things for you. And like Poole has more off the dribble. Um, Poole has more off the dribble. Bain is, gives you more on defense. And I, and I just like trust his strength a little bit more on both ends. Um, and then Maxi is just like, electric with the ball in his hands in a way that Harrow just isn't. And I, I don't see him as being on the same plane as those, as those two guards. So uh, that's yeah. why I wouldn't have had him there, but yeah, well, not, yeah. not crazy. It's definitely a, a group of four. I found hard to rank. I messaged probably six or seven people asking how they would rank those four guys. And I got six or seven different orders um, with, I think all four of them, uh, someone put all four of them at number one, like, okay. The guy who put Harrow first though, you should probably cut him off. Maybe, but yeah, I agree. I had Bain first because I expected his scoring numbers to be lower than the other three, especially in the playoffs, but actually even in the playoffs, it was relatively on par. They were all yeah. sort of in the 16 to 18 points a game. And he was injured. And he was injured, but he still shot really well from three. He was still over 40% from three in the playoffs, still over he's, 15 points and he, a game. And he's just like a bowling ball in transition. Yeah. He puts pressure on the rim. He's He he just like bruises you. He he, he wears you out in a way that, that Harrow just isn't capable physically. Um, and I think Maxie's only going to get better. I think that he has some real point guard potential. I don't think Maxie's going to be ever as much of a defensive liability because he's so much more athletic than Harrow. Um, yeah. and, and pool is just like an offensive maestro in the making. So, um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, and then the only, the only other guy that I had in my honorable mentions that you put in 44 is Ben Simmons, because Ben Simmons, you will not sniff my top 50 until you play basketball again. All right. Well, let's wait for tier five a before we talk about Ben Simmons, like, but how can you have a guy in the top 50 who genuinely might like just have to sit in the playoffs because he doesn't he he just he, he just doesn't work you have another non-shooter that you have to play and 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 he just can't fit in offensively S sounds like i should move on to tier 5a <laughs> <laughs> all right go so tier 5a the top of the elite role players what i call luxury number fours 
are Ben Simmons, Andrew Wiggett. Sorry, actually, I'll go reverse order. So DeAndre Ayton at 48, Marcus Smart at 47, Mikhail Bridges at 46, Wiggins at 45, Simmons at 44. So all those guys, I think, if they're the fourth best player on your team, you're a very good team. Um, and I don't think any of them or all of them, I would say are best suited as role players where they can try to defend the best guy on the other team. Uh, they would have different roles, you know, Bridges and Wiggins are more shooters. Aiden's an interior scorer. Simmons is kind of a push and transition facilitate kind of guy, but all of them are best suited as, and smart obviously is just defense and facilitating too, but all of them are really good on defense and you know, if they're playing Simmons a little bit outside of this category, but if they're playing up to their defensive potential can really kind of anchor your team uh, on a, on a deep playoff run. Yeah. I don't know how we got here, but we did like Ben Simmons has the highest ceiling by far of any of these guys. And like when things have been right with Ben Simmons, like he's easily at the, he's, he's not in this tier. He's somewhere way higher on your list, but like, I just, I've, my patience has run out for Ben Simmons. I, I don't have him in my top 50. He's got to play his way back there. Um, he hasn't shown a willingness to be a center, which is the only way I can imagine him being a top 50 player right now. Um, and so, yeah, I don't want to overreact to Wiggins being the second or third best player in a finals, but like, I certainly trust Andrew Wiggins more going into next season. Um, and like, this is a part of our, of the rankings where you're not looking for ones. Like you said, these are luxury fours. Yeah, depending on the team and like Bridges didn't have the playoffs he was hoping for, but like still awesome season. Like, I think he's going to improve on offense. Marcus Smart, you know what you're getting. Like that, Wiggins, Wiggins, Bridges and Smart have established themselves now, even Wiggins as like, you know what you're getting guys. And Simmons is the opposite of that. So it's just really hard for me to consider him in the same breath as those dudes. Yeah, that's fair. But be that as it may, he is someone who's made all-star, all-NBA before. He's dynamic in transition. He can put up, you know, 16, 10, and 10 relatively in his sleep. And if I was starting a team from scratch, I would certainly want to start with him over one of those other guys. If you already have a set environment, he's certainly a very hard player to fit into whatever yeah. system you have going like he you really have to tailor the system around his his limitations but i don't know maybe it's a little bit of me that's like you know from the sixers process days an apologist and wanting it to work out and i'm way lower on simmons now than i was previously obviously i was kind of one of the last holdouts on simmons island yeah. probably but i mean with his raw talent i still didn't feel right leaving him completely out of this list yeah, I just I just disagree with your labeling of that group. I see maybe you change this, but it says the version you sent me says elite role players. And like I just think we have no evidence that Ben Simmons is willing to embrace being an elite role player, which he certainly has the talent to do. Wiggins, Bridges, and Smart have all been elite role players already at some point in their career. And like we're we're enough years into the Ben Simmons project now that like kind of seems like he's either gonna be like uber talented guy with the ball who can't play in the playoffs or he's going to be on the bench. And so I, it, it's the inability to imagine him somewhere in the middle there that kept him off my list. Fair. I mean, but at the same time, if he just bought <laughs> into short rolling, 
passing to shooters. No one passes to three point shooters like he does yeah. statistically. Oh no, I, I get it. I like y- y- the upside dragged him up into your list, and and that makes sense to me. And there's a guy who was you know second in defensive player of the year a couple of years ago, and he had a pretty good case for winning. I thought uh, yeah. in the year that led up to the the epic meltdown against the Hawks. Did he leave the group chat? Was that debunked? Uh, apparently debunked. We're back for a fresh 40 minutes of zoomage. <laughs> uh, did we cover that 44 to 48 tier? So we did. Any- yeah. Um, right. The I guess the one thing is, or the one thing that's interesting, probably going into last year's playoffs, I don't think uh, Mikhail Bridges versus Andrew Wiggins debate, You probably 80% of the public would have picked Mikhail Bridges, but yeah. I mean, in that playoff run, just seeing it, maybe it's unfair, but how Luca just abused Bridges and the entire Phoenix team versus how Wiggins was really able to hold his own, both against Luca and then against Tatum in the finals. It's really one of the, yeah. I mean, that's one of the better defensive one, two series that you're going to have as far as, I mean, he didn't make Luca struggle that much. Luca still balled out in that series, yeah. but he made him work and then he did make Tatum struggle. So when I really, see you, yeah. when I see you gaming with confidence in the play in in the finals, like it changes things. It's just the way it works. Like that's that's the NBA. And Fred Van Vliet, for instance, a guy we're going to talk about at some point soon, like had a really ugly round one this year against the Sixers. And I'm like a Fred Van Vliet stand. Like I can't have him as high as I would have had him after this year. But like just seeing the guy he was only a couple of years ago in the finals like that sticks with me and that props him up on my list and so that's why for Wiggins now like he just has he just has equity and so I put I put him at 37 so I had him a little bit higher but nothing nothing crazy just like a guy that we know is now willing to buy into a role and play really really valuable wing defense yeah all right well let's get into tier four which is a fairly small tier it's only got eight guys in it but it's still split into two parts. And this tier is 36 to 43. Yeah. All-star upside. And starting with uh, players 41, 42, and 43, who I call the permanent snubs. And that is at number 43, Jalen Brunson, who has not been a snub yet, but I feel like he's going to be a permanent snub. 42, CJ McCollum. 41, Clay Thompson. Um CJ McCollum, it seems like, is always right on the cusp of that all-star discussion, but not quite in there. Uh, Clay Thompson has made the all-star team, but there was that very funny bit last year where he missed the all-75 team and his teammates made him a 77 jersey. Um, But those three guys, I think, you know, if everything hits well and if there's some, like, injury replacements and stuff, could make the all-star team. Um, And we've seen them all perform well in the playoffs as well Brunson this past year and then McCollum and Clay obviously a number of times over their career so do do any of those seem egregious to you um I think LaMelo is too high I just he hasn't decided to play defense yet and we haven't seen that his particular that his particular um offensive creation is conducive to winning and so, like, I'm just I, the way that I'm completely bought in on Cade as a leader, offensive engine, w- like, will will drive winning at some point soon. I just do not see that in in Lamelo, and I think like 
he's starting to show some of the signs of immaturity that I that worried me pre-draft, even when he was like the most talented guy in his class. Um, so I had LaMelo closer to 50. And then I also had Clay at 50 as sort of like out of respect for a Hall of Famer, um, just because TBD, whether, you know, he's going to make a physical recovery, we hope he will. And he's an amazing teammate. So obviously he was, you know, shouting holy cannoli and celebrating with his team but he, like he didn't play the final series of of uh, you know of like a top 40 guy for me um so so i had him at 50 kind of just like felt would have felt ridiculous not having clay anywhere on my list um but i don't have him yeah. quite up there in terms of cj in terms of cj and brunson we have them around the same spot super reliable um offensive guards Okay, yeah, with Clay, um, I am predicting a somewhat of a bounce back season for Clay, not like a full on revenge tour, but I think having him getting close to close to that all star status again, I think is reasonable. And even even with his struggles last year, he still put up 20 points a game in the regular season, um, slightly below his career efficiency. And in the playoffs, he was still at 19 points a game, still shot almost 40% from three. So I think those numbers are, are going to go up. He's going to, I think, get the offseason to get his legs back. Uh, I saw him in person a couple times last year, and something that really jumped out to me was how skinny his legs looked, which makes sense just based on having two catastrophic injuries in a row, the, the amount of muscle atrophy that you would have after two years of not being able to, to work out and play professional basketball in the way that he's accustomed to. So I think, I think that was also accentuated by the fact that like he put on weight in his upper body in a good way. Like he got stronger. The, the body type change for clay was, was more noticeable between the, the lower body injuries and the upper body um, muscle building. Yeah. But I think I I'm comfortable having him at in, in the, in the high forties because he's, I just think with even as he is right now with the shooting and the size, he started to regain some of his defensive form as the playoffs and finals went on. And I just think a, he's in a very low pressure environment. Like, I mean, just being in an offensive ecosystem with Steph, especially when you're as good of a shooter as clay is, is just, he's just free to fire away and get into any kind of rhythm that he needs to get into. And yeah, I am projecting somewhat of a, of a reversion to, to old form for clay though. Maybe not all the way. Cause he was certainly more in the top 25 discussion before his injuries, but I think having him around 40 to me is fair. And Bronson uh, go Knicks only Nick uh, in the top 50 for me, but yeah, I'm very curious to see what he looks like with his own team and sort of being the engine of an offense. Cause he was very impressive against the Utah Jazz tissue paper defense in the playoffs. I'm curious to see how that correlates over a whole season. Yeah. And, you know, you can try to dismiss it as like, you know, the Jazz were a mess on defense. And other than Rudy, they didn't have much cohesion. Um, but like he was the option. He was the number one guy with when Luca was in, was out. And just like the confidence with which he played, the way he initiated sets for them way he created shots for himself and finished in the paint over the best rim protector in the league. Like Brunson's offense is legit. And he, and he even had that one game against the Warriors where he got 30 and just looked like, like the best offensive player on the floor with a, with several hall of famers around him. So um, I I'm excited for you to have Brunson. I did have one other Nick in my top 50. We didn't talk about RJ, 
had him like in the 45 to 50 range. Um, and that's just because I think RJ is a really good two-way player who like in a better situation um, could look like a real winning guy. Um, and I, I think like his three-point shots, competent. His defense is really solid and established now. He's a great rebounder. His passing gets a little better each year. And that's my favorite skill of his. And maybe someday he'll finish with his right hand, but he's still great at getting to the rim. So, um, yeah, I had I had two Knicks in my top 50, if it makes you sleep any better. And I did realize that I added LaMelo to that tier, even though you had him in the next one. So why don't you just start with LaMelo when you get to the next sub-tier, which you called um, fringe all-star point guards. Yes. Um, and just on RJ, you won't get me to say anything bad about RJ, obviously. Um, it would be really nice if he could shoot a higher percentage on twos because his mid-range shooting is, um, leaves a lot to be desired and his at-rim finishing while he's very good at getting to the rim is also not a super high percentage. In fact, I believe he might've been the worst high volume rim shooter in the NBA last year, which isn't great. Um, but, but, but I love RJ. He He did create a ton of opportunities at the rim, which like, you know, obviously you want efficiency, but like getting your shot there is the first step. And yeah, RJ's stats look great from last year. Just don't look at the player efficiency rating because it's like way below a lot of guys in the same sort of points, rebounds, assists, counting stats uh, tier that he's in. And, you yeah. know, he's he's still figuring out the efficiency at the rim and he's got to cut some of those mid-range chucks out of his game. But again, the, the Tibbs offense isn't always setting him up for a great PER. Yeah, no, analytics nerds definitely hate RJ. Um, and... But I, I, the same way, I have no doubt he'll make top 50 lists in the future, but just with the player he is now, I mean, I have Jalen Brunson at 41. I can't imagine having RJ like in the same class as Jalen Brunson right now. But <laughs> yeah. anyways, moving on to the rest of tier four, 4A, fringe all-star point guards. At number 40, LaMelo Ball, 39, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, 38, Fred Van Vliet, 37, DeJounte Murray, 36, Darius Garland. Now these right. are this is this is where shit gets crazy for me. Yeah, um, these are so start, five... start start with Lamelo because I okay. stepped on your toes there. Yeah, I mean Lamelo, he's definitely the guy I'm lowest on out of this group, at least for this coming season. Long long term career wise, he's uh, he'd be towards the top in terms of guys that I'd want to pick. Just I I think he has, you know, nascent passing ability that you don't see very often. Like as as far as his vision, he's. And his instincts, he's in the top handful, top 10 passers in the league, probably just in terms of his his creativity and the things he can see. Um, and, you know, he's a good shooter. He can get to the rim, although you'd like him to get to the rim a little bit more. And he has pretty horrible shot selection. And I'm definitely not sure that he's a winning player, but he is a fringe all-star guy. He was the one who I was the most uncertain about including where they did, but in general and looking through the statistics and for this group, I found it pretty hard to differentiate or say that one was like significantly better than any of the others. So I had them all in their own little sub tier as guys to, I could see making an all-star team next year if sort of things go right. But, you know, it's kind of a crop of like the 10th to 16th best point guards in the NBA and, 
you're not really sure which one's going to make that jump into the into like the top, you know, five to eight. Although actually, I think you are pretty sure about yeah. which one you think is going to make yeah. that jump. And I know you're pretty sure it's not going to be Lamelo. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'll just let you go. I I think Lamelo is more likely to be like sort of a Rod Stricklandy player long term, where like players in the future reference Lamelo as like that guy, like incredible highlights. I modeled my game after him. He was so innovative on the offensive end, played with such freedom and had such an insane level of skill and IQ. It's a great take. That that he could never quite harness. Um, because like, yeah, I was listening to Marbury on on Rusillo's podcast the other day when and and he like so many elite point gods like reference Rod Strickland as someone they watched, someone they tried to emulate because of his crazy handle, the things he could do with the ball in his hands. Um, and and Lamelo is probably more that than he is like Penny Hardaway to me. Um, so a little lower on him. Uh, but yeah, the guy that I am super high on in this tier is Darius Garland. Um, and I haven't spent enough time studying his defense to know like he, he is he going to be a complete problem on that end or is he just going to get hunted uh in the playoffs but one thing i'm sure of from watching a decent amount of Cavs basketball is that he's not Trey Young like he he tries harder than Trey Young he's closer to Kemba Walker than Trey Young just in terms of like doing what he can to overcome his physical deficiencies um so i and and then offensively like i just think Garland is a is a wizard like i He's he's small, but like he has everything else other than the frame. He's he, he I think he's going to be like a 26 and eight guy this year. Um, He's a, he's an unreal passer. The pick and roll with Allen and Mobley, like whichever guy he wants is, is right there for him. Um, His shot is just like solid. Like it's just he, he just he's, he's a three point sniper Um, and his handle like he can get anywhere he wants on the floor and I feel like he's already really figured out how to take threes, layups, and get shots for his talented big men at the rim. I don't see him taking a lot of like head scratching shots like Lamelo. You said like that's the the shot selection with guys like young guys like Lamelo and Anthony Edwards can be really frustrating at times. You watch Garland, and you, you could be convinced that he's a twenty seven year old. The way he patrols the floor for them and gets his team the best shot um, every time down the floor. So. Yeah, I had Garland at 26, right right after Cade. Um, Jeez. <laughs> because I truly believe that Garland is like is a perennial all-star now. Um and I really, I really hope he stays healthy. He could be the kind of guy who like needs to be at full health to be the great point guard he is because he's not super bursty and he's small. Um, so I'd be I'd be worried about like garland at 32 because he's not like chris paul or kyle lowry on defense um but young darius garland is just like a true delight to watch and there are like i don't know like five guys that i think are are more skilled than he is like pound for pound yeah i mean he's definitely the one i'm the highest on out of this group he's got the most sort of varied offensive game He's probably the best scorer of the bunch, Hammer Shea, and then his facilitating is is right up there with Lamelo, and perhaps even a little bit more functional than Lamelo's playmaking. Even if Lamelo's kind of catches your eye a little bit more, and yeah, we've seen him captain a team to almost the playoffs to to the to the 
I think they were the seven seed and they lost two yeah. straight playing games. They were the eight seed and they lost two straight playing games, but they were pretty screwed by injuries. And he was the engine of that offense. Like it was Garland. And then you had, a, you know, Jared Allen, who's not going to create his own offense. Evan Mobley, not at the point yet of creating his own offense. Isaac Okoro, not at the point of doing anything we'll, on offense. We'll never, we'll never reach that point. <laughs> uh, Karis Levert, who I'm not the biggest fan of, but he can create some offense for himself, not necessarily for others. But Garland was the one who was kind of holding their offense together with, you know, glue and scotch tape and almost got them into the playoffs. So he's definitely the one I'm the highest of out of that group. Um, some of them are also have been on kind of lottery situations their whole careers. Like Lamelo has been on lottery teams. Uh, Shea, kind of the same deal. Um, Van Vliet is one who's a little bit more of a known commodity. So I put him kind of middle top of that group at, at 38, just because we've seen him make an all-star team. We've seen him show out in the finals, even if his, his ceiling may not be, his ceiling may be the lowest of yeah. that group but you just know that he's a solid guy and a solid playoff performer. So, yeah. Yeah. Like the, ta- like LaMelo, you could definitely argue LaMelo is the most talented guy in this group, but like not everyone wants LaMelo in their locker room. Everyone wants Fred Van Vliet in their locker room. And that counts for something. Cause we're thinking about going deep in the playoffs. Um, yeah. And, and Van Vliet, I, I think is going to have a bounce back year. Um, and I, I don't think that he should be um, I don't think that he should be docked too hard for um, a rough series in which he probably should have done better against James Harden and Tyrese Maxey. He wasn't guarded by Thibel that much and still just really struggled on offense. I don't know if he was injured or what, um, but it was it was a, it was it's going to be a long offseason for Van Vliet and I bet he comes back stronger. Um, I also had Shea at 30, so I'm also pretty high on Shea. Um, mm. I, I think he's another guy that you just need to imagine in a better situation. Um, and I, I truly believe that, that like Shay isn't an, an empty calories guy because I love the way he gets to the rim at will. Um, the fact that his shot doesn't look like it should go in, but just has gone in for years now. And even a week, three point shooting year last year, wasn't awful for him. So, um, yeah, I lo- I just love Shay's efficiency from two. And I believe that he'll be able to um, reach, you know, 36% again from three and, and continue to be like the offensive beast that he's been. And he, he has the body to be a really good defender, although he hasn't been that great uh, the last couple of years. Yeah. He's someone who you, you have to think that his shooting slump last year, going down to 30% from three was, was an anomaly. Um, but Outside of that, yeah, he gets into the paint at will. He's a really unique player. It's fun to just have guys with unique games. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if if he jumps up a few spots. And honestly, I mean, once we get past this group and we start getting into the, the top, like, 35 players in the NBA, we're qu- pretty quickly getting into guys who I think can be the second-best players on championship teams. So, I mean, it's no shame to be the – the 36th best player in the NBA. Uh, and I mean, we can, there's three more guys uh, who we're going to do in this episode who kind of exist outside of a tier. They're kind of in a tier of their own. I call it three D, but uh, yeah. Are we, if we're done with tier four, I can move on to those three. Yeah, let's do it. So this tier, this sub tier is called 
playoff assassins or 16 game players uh, per the wise philosopher Draymond Green, who says there are 82 game players and there are 16 game players. And these guys may not bear the same value in the regular season as maybe even some of the guys below them, but they're just so proven in the playoffs and such assassins in the playoffs that it felt wrong to put them any lower than this. So those are at number 35, Kyrie Irving, number 34, Jamal Murray, number 33, Draymond Green. Very different group of players. Uh, I imagine I'll probably get some pushback from listeners for, for putting Kyrie Irving yeah. at number 35. <laughs> Kyrie, Kyrie's a playoff assassin in the sense that he will assassinate your team's playoff chances. Yeah, I imagine I'll probably get pushed back both ways because there's definitely still people who think Kyrie Irving is like a top 15 player. Oh, yeah. Um, which, you know, if again, this is not a one-on-one thing. Oh, oh no, Lock, locked in. I'm I'm a Blazers fan. Like, Dame is my god. And and locked in Kyrie Irving is still better than Dame. Like, better than <laughs> better than Jimmy Butler, mate. Like, we can we can talk. We can get crazy talking about like the, what the best Kyrie looks like. It's still like all world. But yeah, I, I'm done expecting that. Exactly. These are not, this is not in a practice of one game or like a one-on-one tournament or anything like that. Cause Kyrie would obviously be much higher in those situations or even, you know, one playoff series, he'd probably be much higher, but just with, with all of the shenanigans, let's say of the past few regular seasons with him missing games uh, he's not the most durable. You're, you really can't bet on him to play more than 50 games in a regular season at this point or more than 60 you know, yeah, God, God forbid. I mean, but like 2016 Cavs Kyrie was a really long time ago. And for I think for a couple of years, I was holding on to that all time great final shot and like the guy he was with LeBron. And he still has moments where he looks like that guy and he's not incredibly old. And despite his injury history, seems like he still has a lot in the tank. Uh, and when it looks right, it's still that he still has the magic. But yeah. I just, I like, like Simmons, I, I just, I'm done betting on this guy being mentally invested when it matters. Yeah. I mean, like in game one of the, of the yeah. Celtics series, last I was year, cracking was up. I was cracking up. It was, <laughs> it was absolutely ridiculous what he did in game one. And then he said goodbye and he, and he like disappeared for the rest of the series. And I still haven't gotten an explanation for why he was so non-existent after that like transcendent game one yeah game one just for the listeners he scored 39 points with six assists five rebounds hit six threes shot 60 percent from the field uh in a in a very in a game they lost by one and then after that he did not eclipse 20 points for the rest of the series he had 10 16 yeah and 20 on bad efficiency in all those games so He's just someone who, you know, is just not reliable enough for me to put them any higher. But at the same time, like when you when there when it seemed like there was a chance that the Lakers were going to get Kyrie, which we're not doing any trade discussion on this podcast because I cannot take another Shams report no. that does not have the words has traded or has signed. If it's a rumor, I don't want to see it. But anyways, I mean that when the, when we thought he might go to the Lakers and play with LeBron and AD, we're like, okay, well. Yeah, I guess that, he's the top. Be, I guess he's a top eighteen player again. That'd be a really good team. So yeah. like, yeah. you know, you 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 can't completely take him out of the exercise, but at the same time, the top of the league is so good that once we yeah. start getting into those guys in the twenties, I just can't, in good conscience, take Kyrie over any of them. Yeah, and now guess in a more, what? 
I yeah. can't I can't in good conscience let you put Jamal Murray in the same conversation as look Draymond is Draymond uh, when it matters he's just best defender in the world general on defense like whatever I, I we had Draymond around the same spot and we also had Kyrie in the same spot I yeah. had Jamal Murray at 21 okay well <laughs> I thought I loved Jamal Murray <laughs> I have Jamal Murray at 21 and I, I mentioned this to you right before we started recording that that one's a little bit of a cop out because like if, if it turns out Jamal Murray's knee isn't great or like he needs more time to come, he needs another year of like getting back into things then my that, you know, I'll just say that, he, that he wasn't physically ready, but like 100% Jamal Murray is one of the best playoff players in the world. I haven't seen him turn in a dud playoff series once. I've seen him do it against the Blazers. I've seen him do it against the Lakers. I've seen him do it against the Jazz. Like he kills you. He and he's and he's not defensively a Trey or a Donovan. He's like defensively like eh, like passable. Yeah. And he's big. And like Garland, you can't speed him up. He's moving at his own pace. He gets to his spots and he can score from a lot of different places. And I just like I want Jamal Murray as my second or third best player in a big time series because I know that he believes he's going to hit take and hit the big shots. I thought I loved Jamal Murray having him at 35 coming off an ACL for someone who's never made an all-star team in their career, but is such a dynamic playoff performer. I mean, just to remind the listeners of that 2020 bubble run in 19 playoff games, a run to a mildly competitive Western conference finals. Like it was an AD buzzer beater away from being a six or seven game series. Um, he averaged 26 and a half points a game, five rebounds, six and a half assists on 50% shooting overall, 45% from three, 90% from the line. So just absolutely blistering efficiency. He had that first round series against the jazz where he and Donovan Mitchell were trading 50 point games and then against the Clippers, he was a little up and down, but towards the end of the series, when the Nuggets made their comeback, really came on hot um, and then kind of ran out of gas a little bit against the Lakers. But he has, yeah, he's got, for someone who's never made an all-star team, he has some signature playoff performances under his belt. And I, for one, am extremely excited to see what the Nuggets look like this year. They're one of the teams I'm looking forward to watching the most uh, this season. Uh, but it just, it just, I don't know. It felt right to put him in the, in the playoff assassin category because that's what he is. Yeah. And you know, he's not someone who is coming off an injury, but has the pedigree of having made an all NBA team or an all-star team before. So you but have to he, but imagine, he does, but he does feel like that because he's been so good in the playoffs. Like, like I, I knew that he hadn't made an all-star team, but just hearing you say that, like, it's like a weird reminder because he is such, he's such an all-star in my mind. Um, and I think that we've reached the point in the rankings now where like, I want to be able to imagine you like taking over a conference finals game, like just one, you're not going to be the guy for a whole series, but like, and, and with Murray, we know he can drop 40 in a conference finals game. And like, we wouldn't bat an eye. Um, Absolutely. Draymond, He's, Draymond could yeah. defensively take over a conference finals game. Um, and obviously Kyrie, <laughs> Kyrie can take over any game if he feels like it. Yeah, he can take over anything. Um, any world. Yeah. Uh, last note on Murray is he's kind of in that, when he gets hot, he's in that like Dame, Steph, Trey class of shooter where you're just terrified or 
wildly excited whenever he comes around a screen and he's open and he's, he's got the off the dribble shooting. He's got the step backs, the mid range, the one foot shots, everything. I mean, he's not as, his shots, not as consistent. He tends to go through more peaks and valleys than those guys do. But I mean, when he's on his highs, he is every bit the flamethrower that those guys are. Yeah. So and also three guys you've already mentioned today. I'm sure there are more, but three that come to mind. DeJounte Murray, OG Ananobi, and Zach Levine, I guess, is getting mentioned soon. Um, all three guys had ACL tears um, at key points in their early careers and, like, came back so quickly. Like, the year they were back, they were fully back. And so, yeah. like, that's why I just think, like, 2022, ACLs aren't the same anymore. And I was comfortable assuming that barring some unexpected setback, Jamal Murray is going to be himself fairly soon. Yeah. For me, it was just that he wasn't the 21st best player in the league when he got hurt. And to think that when he's coming back from injury, he's going to get to 21 to me is a little outlandish, but for me having him, where do I have him at 30, uh, 34, I think is a good spot for him. And I want to make one more note on Draymond Green because everyone always talks about his defense, but he is really integral to that Warriors offense too. And it, it just hums in a different way when he's out there. Like, a big part of Steph's shooting slump this past year coincided first with chasing that record of most threes all time, where it seemed like he was really pressing and it was getting to him mentally. And then second, when Draymond got hurt and he wasn't getting all of those like pitchbacks where he, you know, he gets off the ball, pass it to, to Draymond runs to the corner and Draymond sort of like pivots and pitches it to him. And Steph gets an open corner three or, all the plays where Draymond is sitting at the top of the key and the defense is like 15 feet off of him. And he's just pointing at the Warriors players, like where to run so he can get Steph an open look or clay or see Wiggins cutting to the basket or something. So, um, I mean, we're not going to talk about his contract negotiations or whatever's going on there. I think they'd be pretty foolish to let him go, but uh, he is just a, and he is also just uniquely valuable to that team. Like if I was another team, I wouldn't want to pay him $20 million, but if I'm the Warriors, yeah. he's so valuable to like the fabric of what they do on both ends of the court. Although defense gets more acclaim. And, and, and even when he takes off the Warriors Jersey, he is like sort of like a top eight. Let me go to war with that guy. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, like, I'm less excited about what Draymond's adding to my team in the regular season but it seems like there's so such a marginal gain um, in the playoffs and he shows up, he shows up in the biggest moments and yeah. And, and, and he wouldn't have to do as much offensively if he wasn't so necessary to Steph's success. And and that's a beautiful peanut butter and jelly, but like he's going to be elite defensively no matter where he is. Yeah. All right. Well, that was players 54 to 33. The first, uh, what was that, 21, 22 players of my list. So we're going to have at least uh, one more part, probably two more parts in this series. But uh, we're getting towards the top 30, which is where it really gets interesting in the 30 to 20 range. There's going to be some pretty contentious disagreements in this next episode. Uh, and we may even have a surprise guest for the next episode. So looking forward our first, to it. Our first ever guest should be coming on. Yep. No guarantees, but hopefully that happens. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good one.